0: about to do? We're about to get real. We're about to have conversations that Christians have behind closed doors, the scary ones, the ones that make you feel uncomfortable. That's where we're going. Why? Because we're family. Ustedes son mi familia.
1: So this is the Brian and Janelle podcast. She's Janelle and I'm Brian. If you don't want to miss anything, all you have to do is just hit that subscribe button to get a notification whenever we drop a new episode. This is the Brian and Janelle Podcast. We're so pleased to have with us, as she is each week this half hour, the lovely, the talented, the fabulous Dr. Julie Slattery is a clinical psychologist. She hails from Akron originally, and she's co-founder of Authentic Intimacy and, of course, is the host of the Java with Julie podcast, Welcome back, Dr. Slattery.
2: Boy, thanks so much for that introduction, Brian.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to butter you up because you're making me say sex a lot today.
2: (laughs) Oh, yeah. It's it's good for you. It It is good for for me.
1: It's like really good practice for me. But I I think it's such an important topic, too, because I think, you know, for so long in, in, in purity culture, in Christian circles, all we did was tell Christian kids don't have sex but then Mm -hmm. it leaves them with the unanswered question of what do you do with sexual desire when you're single? Because it's not like you just kind of go, okay, I shouldn't have that desire now.
2: Yes, and not only Christian kids, but there are a whole lot of Christian adults that are single that are like, all right, what do I do? I think the first realization here is helping people understand that just because you're single, doesn't mean that you're not sexual. You know, the Bible calls you to reserve sexual expression and intimacy for marriage, but that doesn't mean that you're not a sexual person, that you don't have even God-given desires and longings. So I think some of it is just validating that that's a real thing and that that's normal. And it's not like you can just turn off a switch and not feel those things anymore.
1: Isn't the constant feeling you hear from Christians on this is I'm naughty, I'm dirty. I'm thinking about these things and I'm not supposed to.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of shame uh, just even having desires. And I think some of it again is recognizing that, wait a minute, God created sexual desire. He created it so that around adolescence, your body would awaken and that you'd have hormones and neurotransmitters and uh, all kinds of things happening in your body that would create thoughts and feelings and urges. And then of course, you throw on top of that, we live in a society that is very sexualized and it's literally impossible to live in our world without, almost on a daily basis, um, yeah, having those sexual desires kind of um, encouraged and and just awakened and sometimes through some very bad things that, that we see and that we can experience. So the challenge is real. I think this is a, just a very pressing question that a lot of Christian men and women are asking of. I don't know how to manage this and I don't know how for it not to be something that's so predominant in my life that I feel almost destined to fall into sexual sin.
0: Regardless of your age, you said, you know, we are created with these feelings and with these desires. What is the godly purpose of sexual desire outside of marriage? Like, what do we do with it?
2: One of the main godly purposes is that it reminds us that we were created for relationships. And so, uh, both of you can relate to this because you have teenagers. But imagine (laughs) us going through—yeah, imagine Uh, us going through those teen years and not not being awakened sexually. Now, from a parent's perspective, we're like, "No, it's too soon. They're too young." But both for boys and girls, young men and women, being awakened sexually means that they're no longer just content pursuing a career or a hobby. Uh, They're all of a sudden they notice, uh, they notice the opposite gender. They start romanticizing. They start thinking about taking risks. Like, I think I might ask a girl out on a date. Uh, I might put myself out there a little bit and risk rejection because I long for a real relationship. And so um, one of the things that I've told my sons is your sexual desire is God's way of your body telling you that you were not made to do life alone. And, uh, and that's a very good thing because it prompts us, again, to get out of our comfort zone and to pursue relationship. Otherwise, we would never do that.
1: Yeah, because girls are scary. Like to ask out our dates and stuff. Wow. Yeah.
2: <laughs> they are. Yeah. What would prompt a guy to take a risk like that? And unfortunately, there are a lot of men that are not taking that risk because they they channel their sexual desire through pornography. Uh, or other means, and so they're not saying, "Okay, this prompting is actually God's way of saying, take a risk, get to know a woman, be willing to sacrifice your comfort for the sake of pursuing a genuine relationship.'"
0: What do you tell ta- Brian's Still sitting on the girls are scary. Go yeah, ahead, because Brian. Go because
1: ahead. Ron and I have said this for a long time, and you're always like, "No, we're not.
0: We ain't scary." We're like nice Haven't you discovered You're oh. married
1: It's so scary To ask <laughs> no. out a girl I remember Like no, I asked out Sarah So badly Like it was Hardly even that She wasn't sure If it was a date
2: Aww <laughs> Yeah but I, I agree with you Brian I mean again Aww, I have three see? sons and, and Girls not only are scary They're unpredictable yes. Um, From the guy's perspective <laughs> You have no idea What she's thinking Or okay Why is she crying now I can't oh, well, uh, yeah. yeah I get it So I think that's all part of God's design is that you do have to take a risk in pursuing a woman's heart.
0: What do you tell—I have friends who have been single through their 30s. And I understand Mm -hmm. that you said, you know, our desires are prompting so that we pursue intimacy in terms of marriage and all that. What do you tell people that don't see relationship in the horizon? and they have mm-hmm. a lot of sexual desire bottled
2: up. What would God yeah. tell them? Well, I'm, there's a difference between what God would tell them and what I would well, tell them. yeah. You know, well, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully there's an overlap, you yeah. know, but, but let me just break this down a little bit. And I think that this is biblical advice, um, but we live in a culture that puts everything on sex. And so uh, we live in a society that really, in a lot of ways, sabotages true intimacy, relationships, close relationships, because, you know, we're on our computers or on our phones. We don't go out and just form community. especially with COVID. It makes Mm -hmm. it so much more difficult. But basically, our society says the only way to get those needs met is to be sexual with somebody. And that's a lie. That's not true. And, you know, what I found is that, yes, there is an element of sexual desire that is hormonal and it's physical, but there's a whole lot of our sexual desire that actually has nothing to do with wanting to have sex. We're just putting other more foundational needs in the basket of the only way to get those needs met would be to be sexual. So mm. like, for example, one of the core needs is that people are lonely and you're made for connection. You're made for community. And uh, and when you feel lonely, again, the world might tell you the way to meet that need is to be sexual, whereas the Bible would say, all right, you are made for intimate knowing, you're made for an intimate relationship with God and to be intimately involved in community. You should be known in your community uh, and have deep relationships. And so I think there are a lot of foundational needs that are being put in the basket of sexuality that really were not meant to be there.
0: Dr. Julie Slattery, she's clinical psychologist and also co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. And Julie, we've been throwing questions at you and very excited about this topic, both as parents of teenagers, but also friends of people who are single. So we know this is a real thing and love hearing what the Bible has to say about it. But we wanted just to hear, we know in this blog post, you have specific reasons why a single desires sex. Can you help us get through it? Yeah, sure. So
2: let me just put out there, sex is not a need. (laughs) You know, it's a longing, it's a desire, it's an urge, but you don't need sex, Uh, But there are things that you need that, again, sometimes are represented by sex. And that's when it starts to feel like a genuine need. Like, God, I don't know if I can live without this. And I already mentioned one of those needs. Uh, You need intimacy and companionship. And so sometimes that desire for sex is really an aching of loneliness. And it's the idea that I'm living alone. I don't share life with anyone. I just feel in my gut, I feel lonely. Um, And again, that's experienced as a sexual desire instead of as a relational and really intimate desire. Another thing I think really plays into that need for sex is you need to be making a mark on your life. You need to be using your life in such a way that you're, you're impacting the world. And let me explain it this way. In some ways, sexual desire is sort of like an energy that can be burned off in different ways. And it can be burned off through sexual activity, but it also can be burned off through um, just being active, Um, doing things like working hard, um, exercising hard. The research actually shows that people that work out uh, at a pretty high level have a lower sex drive because they're burning off that testosterone. And that's true for men and women. And so sometimes a single will experience really high sexual desire just because they're bored. They're sitting behind their desk all day. Uh, they don't feel excited about what they're li- what they're doing in their life. They're not taking any risks or living in any adventure, and so sometimes even just adding some uh, some of that kind of adventure, uh, working out, things like that can really help with sexual desire. Um, things like you know getting involved in a ministry, uh, you know, just doing something that's out of your comfort zone. So the third thing is that you need comfort. And what we find particularly if people are sliding into something like a sexual addiction where they're using pornography, they're using masturbation uh, habitually, what they're doing is they're self-medicating using sex. Uh, Because when you have a sexual expression, your body emits endorphins and other kind of relaxing hormones and neurotransmitters. And so you use sex almost like a drug where anytime you're depressed or stressed out, uh, this is kind of your fix. So instead of having a glass of wine uh, or some other kind of drug, sex becomes a drug. And this is really dangerous, again, because it becomes habitual and it can lead you to a sexual addiction. So what you're really looking for is not sex. You're looking for comfort. You're looking for a way to find peace. You're looking for a way to avoid pain. And so you really want to address that issue. And then the fourth thing that I mentioned is that you need healing. Uh, You know, we find that people that have sexual trauma in their past or issues of abandonment or rejection Uh, They're more likely to be sexually promiscuous because they're trying to resolve that pain and those issues through sexually acting out. And so, you know, I encourage singles and also married couples that are just really struggling in these areas to look at, is my sexual desire really about sex or am I trying to meet an underlying need through sex?
1: So then doesn't this just scream out that someone struggling in this area just needs counseling, someone to help them figure out the, the whys behind their desires and their concerns?
2: Yeah, I think counseling can be really helpful. And, you know, Brian, I, I, I'll i mention to you, I think a lot of what counseling does was meant to be accomplished through community. Um, okay. Now, there are certainly aspects of expertise where you just really need somebody Um, to help you get to the bottom of your past and work through painful feelings. But uh, a lot of how God designed the Christian community to work is that you'd have a place that you feel like you belong. You'd have people that you feel like are empathic and listen to you and understand you uh, that can give you wisdom and direction. But we've become so isolated in our communities that I think for a lot of us, the way that we find that is through counseling. And if you don't have that kind of community and those kind of deep relationships, then I'd really encourage you to seek counseling. And part of your goal in counseling should be, how can I start building those kinds of relationships where I feel known and I feel supported just on a regular basis in my life?
0: You said something a couple minutes ago addressing married people. And you were like, you know, even if you're married, try to explore why you're seeking sex. But part of me was like, hold up. Like, before I got married, they said, you will be married and you can have sex and everything's good. So why would I be married and think, why am I seeking sex? Like, isn't that normal? Why would I think there's anything wrong with me pursuing and and needing that within my marriage?
2: You know, that's a really great question. Uh, And although god blesses sex within marriage that doesn't mean that we still might not have wrong attitudes about it and we still might be using sex in a way that actually is dysfunctional um so for example just because you're married doesn't mean that you don't wrestle with insecurities and sometimes maybe you avoid sex because you're afraid you're afraid of being rejected or you don't like the way your body looks Uh, and so the way you engage in sex is not healthy even though you're married and on the flip side you can still be married and be using sex like a drug where sex isn't about intimacy with your spouse it's about i have a need and you have to meet it and i would say if if you're married and you're not on your honeymoon but you have to have sex every day or almost every day even though you're married, you might want to just look at, am I using this in a way, even within my marriage, that isn't healthy and represents maybe some deeper pain issues.
0: And as we talk to married couples, I know you talk to people who, within their marriage, have different levels of cravings of sex. What do you say to them, and how do you identify who has the problem? The one whose craving is low or the one who's high?
2: Well, you know, I like to say we all have a problem. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I I do. I, you know, I've written this in in my book, Rethinking Sexuality, but I really believe that at some level, we're all sexually broken. You know, we've all learned to view sex in a way that probably is unhealthy, isn't the fullness of how God designed it to be. Um, And so we all have levels of understanding, wow, this is a lie that I grew up believing. Like I grew up kind of believing the lie that sex was primarily for men and that a wife's job is to keep her man happy. And if you read the scripture, that's not that's not true with what scripture says. And so I had to unlearn that and learn a better perspective of sex. And so in working with couples, there might be one person who is the identified person that's struggling, maybe the person that is struggling with pornography or has trauma in their past. But as you both get into counseling, you learn that the other person has some dysfunctional thinking about this as well. And so I really believe that to honor God in this area, it's not just about sexual morality, like obeying the rules. It's also about sexual maturity Mm. and really growing in your understanding of what God wants to teach you in this area of your marriage and how it reflects his love.
1: Yeah. And you know, I'm pumped up because of how clear it seems that many people just ought to go get some, uh, some counseling. Yeah, uh, And I can tell you, I'm also pumped about it because I'm going through counseling now and Sarah and I are working through some marriage counseling. And it's been like such an eye-opening experience where you have a third party asking questions you never thought to ask.
2: Yeah. And good for it you. brings it's, healing. Yeah, it does. And I'll tell you that uh, you all know may know that I took a sabbatical um, in November and December, yeah. uh, just a month off. And one of the things that my husband and I did was we went to a a marriage counselor, a marriage intensive. So we met with a counselor three hours a day for a week, just to work on our marriage. Wow! And, oh, uh, and so it was just something that we want. We felt that we needed to do just to invest in our marriage and. To just grow. And so uh, I'm, I'm a big believer of it. And I think at different stages, every couple needs to make that investment, you know, not just because there's a big, big problem, but because you recognize there's areas that God wants you to grow.
0: I know there are guys that are listening that are thinking, three hours, and my wife said that. I'd be like, baby, we in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so how did your husband feel about it? And and was he scared? Was he concerned about your marriage?
2: Actually, he was a big proponent of it. We had, heard, we had been in, at a leadership summit like a year earlier, and they really challenged, hey, if you're in marriage ministry— You you need to do this and invest in your marriage. Um, There are so many Christian leaders that are falling, and Christian marriages are just the enemy wants to destroy them. And so they challenged us at that leadership summit to do this. And Mike really grabbed onto it and said, we need to do this. And so he was a big proponent of it. It wasn't easy. He said it's like you know doing push-ups and eating broccoli. It's not fun, (laughs) but it's good for you. Yeah. And after 26 and a half years of marriage, we learned a lot about each other, and God really met us each in just ways that brought some healing.
1: That's so, I'm so glad you're willing to share that. Thank you for that measure of transparency because it's one of those where so many people have that errant view that. Counseling is only for people who are in crisis,
0: Uh, Mm -hmm. but
1: it, no, it's good. It helps. Uh, And it can Mm -hmm. help you grow closer to the Lord and to each other. And I hope if anything happens today, Julie, somebody is set free to say, you know what? I am going to get some help so I can be more like Christ and have a healthier relationship.
2: Amen. God wants us to grow. And, you know, a good marriage isn't a thing. It's made up of two healthy people that are surrendered to God. And so counseling is not about fixing your marriage. It's about helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord so that you can show up in your marriage in a way that really helps you to thrive.
1: Well, I hate to say it, time has run short. I wish we could just hang out for a long time. It's been a fascinating conversation. Dr. Julie Slattery, again, is a clinical psychologist, co-founder of Authentic Intimacy. And you don't want to miss the Java with Julie podcast because they have conversations just like this every week. So what can they expect uh, to hear in this uh, latest episode?
2: Yeah, this week I interviewed Victoria Guthrod, who works at Emerge Counseling. She's a local therapist and She specializes in trauma, and we talked about how depression and just trauma in your past impacts marriage, and specifically, how do you get through that if you're the spouse of somebody who's really struggling? And so, uh, again, a good conversation about some of the the hard stuff in marriage. So that's this week's episode.
1: And go find that wherever you get your podcasts, or just go to AuthenticIntimacy.com. I know for me, the biggest takeaway today is girls really are scary.
0: Yeah. And Julie oh, no. proved she it. She said you're right. Mm-hmm. I've been right I, on I this. I validate you.
1: I validate you, girl. <laughs> That's good. Yes. <laughs> and it's recorded.
2: <laughs> oh, goodness. Dr.
1: Slattery, we love hanging out with you. Can't wait till next week.
2: Same here. Thanks, guys.
0: Hey, hold up. Where are you going? You know you liked your time with us. You want more. So look down, hit that button right there, subscribe, and you'll get updated episodes, and then you can hang some more.
1: And guess what? You can help us. How? A five-star rating.
0: You can also hang with us live weekdays, 6 to 9 a.m., interact with us, talk with us, download the Moody Radio app.
1: Or at brianandjanelle.org. And
0: And we don't put all this together all by ourselves. There's some great people behind all this production. We want to thank Ron Eastwood, Kelly Ryder, Paul Carter, Mike Reynolds, and our awesome and fearless leader, Jose Villa.
1: And finally, this podcast is a production of Moody Radio in Cleveland, the ministry of Moody Bible Institute. Well, Brian, that's a wrap. Yep.